You're listening to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. After Mark and Grace Driscoll's new book, Win Your War, looks at how God creates and Satan counterfeits. There's a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, others, yourself, and the church. This is a super biblical and practical book. Order Win Your War today. Welcome to week two of Win Your War. Love you, glad to have you. I'll jump in in just a moment. But prior to the first service, as we were worshiping and praying, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, tell the people why you're doing this series. It's not because it's Halloween and I wanna scare you. I'll just tell you that. I will tell you that the motive behind this entire series of sermons and the book is really love for you and love for people in general that that there is a war going on and most people are unaware of it, though they're feeling the implications of it and they don't have the categories to respond to it. And Grace and I have been together for 30 years. Uh, I've been a Christian since I was 19, so I spent 30 years studying the Bible. We've been in ministry together maybe 25 years, about half our adult life. And what we have seen over and over and over and over is that there really is an enemy, there really is a war, people really are suffering and they need to know about the victory of Jesus so that they can walk in the authority and freedom that God has for them. And so it's an honor to teach you today. And today we're gonna jump in. Uh, Today's sermon is your savior is a dragon slayer. Let me start with a, a piece of news from this week. So apparently North Korea is making progress in their ability to send forth nuclear weapons. So I know we're all really encouraged by that. Um, and, And what's interesting is we've had a cold war and a trade war, and it looks like we're moving toward an actual war with North Korea. But as I think and pray for the citizens of that country, I have great empathy and compassion, especially for the children. If you think about it, North Korea is really a demonic counterfeit. Uh, I like to say that God creates, Satan counterfeits. Um, God creates a kingdom, North Korea is a counterfeit kingdom. Uh, The kingdom of God is ruled by God. In the kingdom of Korea, the dictator rules as a God. And what happens is that citizens are brainwashed through propaganda from a very young age. So if you go to school as a young child, you will pledge allegiance not to the flag or the nation, but to the dictator. You will sing worship songs to the dictator. Furthermore, you will memorize the dictator's 10 principles, which are the counterfeits of God's 10 commandments that rule that kingdom. In addition, what will happen once you enter into school is that government oversees military, government oversees education, government oversees everyone and everything, including the media. And the result is that you only know what you're told. You don't know the rest of the story. And so little kids at a young age, they are given propaganda paintings of American soldiers in uniform attacking and killing Korean children. And then what happens at recess, they'll put the uniforms of American soldiers on dummies and then children will take turns stabbing and attacking them to practice defending themselves against our invasion. That's all those kids have ever known. That's all they've ever experienced. That's all they've ever been told. And and, and I see people like this as captives in a war. They're born into a war and they're captives of a regime in that war. 
and they don't know that they're on the wrong side of the war and they don't know that they've been lied to and they don't know that this is a counterfeit and a deception. Now, what happens is we can see this more easily in other cultures, but Satan is doing the same thing in our nation. It's not just that evil is out there, that evil is everywhere. I'll give a scripture to you, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world, this is a demonic, powerful, fallen spirit. We're gonna get into his rebellion, but the God of this world. So this world is ruled by an invisible force, a demonic spirit. The God of this world, what is he doing? He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Some people have eyes that cannot see, so they are physically blind. Others have eyes that can see, but minds that are blind. What happens when your mind is blind, you see something, but you don't know how to make sense of it or interpret it. Some people's minds are blinded. That doesn't mean that non-Christians are stupid. They can be very intelligent. It doesn't mean that sometimes they don't have good intentions. Sometimes they do. It just means that they are blind to someone. Goes on to say, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. My hope, prayer, and goal is that you would know that this world has a God and that Jesus is the God over that God and nothing in your life makes sense unless you consider both what God is doing and how the enemy is attacking. And I tell you this, because I love you, but so many of you have focused so intensely on your personal relationship with God, you forget that this world has a God that's against you. And so sometimes you'll even wonder if God is attacking you. You'll wonder if God is harming you. You wonder if God even loves you. He does. There is a God of this world, however, who does not. Now, this being said, you and I need to know that we were born into a war. We were born on the wrong side of the war and brainwashing and propaganda is all we've ever known. We call it entertainment and education. We call it politics and policy. All that is, is a rebrand of a demonic deception. I'll give you an example. So as Grace and I were writing these chapters, three through six on which um, this sermon is based, we got an email from friends of ours who live out of state. They love Jesus, good marriage, great kids, beautiful family. We hold them in high regard. And they're like, you can't believe what happened to our kids. So their school, public school, public school demands all the students leave their school for a day and go to an equity summit an equity summit. The mayor was to open with a few words and then the students got to choose between various classes that were offered, workshops. Um, one of them was on non-binary thinking. I told you last week, biblical thinking is binary thinking. Some of you are like, what is that? It's stuff like right and wrong. And it was against binary thinking. You know what that is? They should have titled it come to the God of this world and have your mind blinded seminar, but no one would come. But that's what it is. If you don't think in terms of God, Satan, heaven, hell, right, wrong, truth, lies, then you have a blind mind and you can't discern truth and reality. Some of the, I know this will shock you, uh, but some of the other workshops were on gender identity as a spectrum and also encouraging students to try on different genders and to experiment sexually to see what they are. Some of this starts as young as kindergarten. 
I'll just tell you something, unless you have a blinded mind and a corrupted heart, you should know that a five-year-old is not sexual. And my question is, okay, when did the government take priority over the parents? When, if I disagree with secular curriculum writers, are they right and I'm wrong and I need to surrender and submit my family to the regime? Some of you are like, this is very offensive. We've only begun. This is the intro. <laughs> now some, oh, I will brother, I promise. <laughs> I hope you packed a snack. Those of you that got low blood sugar, you're gonna be struggling if you didn't bring a snack. Now, some of you haven't really considered all of this. It's like, well, that's education. No, that's spiritual. No, that's entertainment. No, that's spiritual. Oh, that's politics. No, that's spiritual. Oh, that's policy. No, it's spiritual because behind it all is the God of this world. And over it all is the God over this world. And that's who we're gonna talk about today. Now in saying this, some of you immediately, I wish you could see your faces, you're freaked out. You're like, we for sure went to the wrong church today, right? I am spooked. I, I heard Satan, demons, the music was very dark. He's yelling, is it over yet? No, not for a long time, sweetheart. But nonetheless, the reason that some of you who are even Christians, maybe even Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians know so little about this is because teaching has tended in two directions. What I will use the language of cessationism. And that is that you know, supernatural things basically used to happen and they don't anymore. And maybe we're skeptical of them. On the other side is sensationalism. People talking crazy about aliens, demons, UFOs, the demonic. Sometimes the people who talk about that, you're like, I think you have a demon, right? We need to drug test you. You're not dealing with reality. That's crazy talk. And these two categories of cessationism and sensationalism, they tend to critique and fight with one another. What we wanna do, we wanna open the word of God. You need to know this before we dig in. I'm a Bible guy. I became a Christian reading the Bible. I've spent 30 years studying the Bible. I have spent, I'm gonna be 49 this week, half my life preaching, teaching the Bible. I have taught or preached through almost half of the books of the Bible, verse by verse. I have a master's degree from a conservative Baptist seminary. I'll just tell you, there's not a lot of demonic or angelic classes at the conservative Baptist seminary. I come to these conclusions from the word of God. And so let's just jump in. We're gonna deal with the first war, the great war, the war in heaven. And I want you to see how God won his war. Revelation 12, seven through nine. We hit this last week, I'll set it briefly and we'll move quickly. Now war, if you had to pick one word to describe the state of our culture, that would be a great candidate. Our culture is at war. And behind all the little wars, there is this big war. War arose in heaven. In heaven, they were having church. The angelic beings were all worshiping God. And some decided to declare war on God. I love you, we're glad to have you. God's presence is always with God's people because he's a father who loves his family. But you can be in church, you can be in God's presence, you can be in worship 
and have a heart that declares war against God. So you gotta guard your heart. That's a military term. You gotta guard your heart. Now war arose in heaven. Michael, one of two named holy angels along with Gabriel in the whole Bible and his angels fighting against the dragon. Satan doesn't have equality to God, so God doesn't engage him. He instead deploys angelic soldiers to defend his kingdom. And I love this language, the dragon. Isn't it amazing that our whole culture, many board games, Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, all the stuff, there's usually a what? A dragon. Something in us is like, we don't like dragons. Right? You shouldn't like dragons. Here's the first dragon. It's the serpent, it's Satan, it's the enemy of God. And the dragon and his angels fought back. This is the war behind all the wars, but he was what? He was defeated. There's the good news. So now he's a toothless dragon. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Notice this, dragon and serpent. Once we get to Genesis three, it'll speak of serpent. It's still the dragon who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of what part of the world? The whole world. Some of you moved here from another state. You're like, my state stinks. I'm going to Arizona. You're like, our state stinks too. It stinks everywhere. Some less, some more, but the war is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go to avoid the war. The whole world, he was thrown down to where? The earth and his angels, those are fallen now demonic spirits were thrown down with him. What this means is demons live where you live. Demons work where you work. Demons watch what you are doing. And their war against God was won by God, but they brought their war here to your neighborhood, to your house, to your marriage, to your family, to your relationships. Everyone is born into a battle that began in heaven. Furthermore, we were all born on whose side? The enemy's side. The enemy's side. The enemy's side. And since God won this war, the only hope for you and me is to walk in his victory that he would win our war so that we could win our war. There was a great war in heaven. This is the battle behind the battles. This is the conflict behind the conflicts. This is the problem behind the problems. In addition to the realm we see, there is a realm that only God sees. And those two affect and implicate one another continually. And then sometimes the unseen realm shows up in the seen realm. That brings us to Genesis chapter three, uh, two and three. Uh, Adam and Eve, that's our first parents, the head of all humanity, lost our war on earth. I'm not gonna go thoroughly through Genesis three for the sake of time, but it's all in the book. But let's just pick up the story, Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man, binary, you're like, well, no, that's a person on a spectrum. No, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. <laughs> so you're like, that's very offensive. Well, God's very offended if you think otherwise. So, you know. Pray about that. So therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, right? So if you're a single guy, write it down. I need to move, okay? I need to move. Hold fast to his wife, that's 
marriage, not shack up with his girlfriend. And they shall become one flesh. That's consummation of the covenant. See, part of the demonic deception is we sleep together, we live together, we don't marry each other. That's the counterfeit of what God created. God created us male and female. God created marriage for a man and a woman. I'll just lean over the plate, take one for team Jesus. And the man and his wife and his wife were both what? If you're from Texas, naked. They were naked. <laughs> and they were not what? Ashamed. Many single people, you, you live under this illusion, right? And the illusion is, I'm being tempted, I'm really struggling, I can't wait till we get married. We're just gonna be naked and eat fruit and hang out in a garden. Those days are gone, it's been a long time, things are different now, right married people? It's different now. You're like, yeah, no fruit, no garden, plenty of dragon. Okay, that being said, now the who? Serpent, Satan, the dragon was more crafty, conniving. Plan if you don't have a plan, you need to know that Satan has a plan. Satan has a plan to destroy your marriage, so you should have a plan for your marriage. Satan has a plan to destroy you financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. He's crafty, he's intentional, he can't read your thoughts, but he observes human behavior and he is a master strategist at war than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The story of Adam and Eve continues that she has a conversation with the dragon and everything falls apart when the war in heaven that was won by the angels is lost by our first parents on earth in the garden. I'm gonna move through this quickly. Let me just summarize a few things from the remainder of Genesis two and three. Number one, I believe that Satan showed up at the place of the divine council meeting. The divine council is biblical language where God has an angelic family that includes other divine beings in the unseen realm. And God has human beings that are visible in the seen realm. And these two families both have access to God and the divine council is where they come together. I think this explains why when Satan the dragon shows up, Eve is not shocked or surprised. I just tell you ladies, if a dragon shows up to talk to you, I would expect some sort of reaction. You're like, row, row, right? Uh, ultimately, she's just very matter of fact about it. it. Seems very normative. It says at the end of Genesis three that when they sinned, that also they were cast out from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, or the tree of life rather, and it was a cherub angel with a flaming sword. So they're used to, in the divine council, having divine beings present. Number two, Satan recruited angels in heaven and he recruits people on earth. Satan wants to recruit you. When you're tempted, that's a recruiting. When a lie comes, that's a recruitment. When bitterness seeps in, that's a recruitment. He is trying to cause you to be on his side. You need to know this as well. Some people are evil and demonic. They're not beyond help, but they're beyond your help. They need God's help. And until they turn to God, there is not hope for them. They're like the demons. Now, not a lot of people are evil. And let me just say this, just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean they're demonic. Because some of you, that's where you're like, they disagree with me, they're demonic. No, it's, it takes more than that. But Satan is recruiting people and some people are working with him and for him and they do evil constantly. Beware of those people. 
Number three, Satan shows up uninvited in hopes that you will have a conversation. Did Adam and Eve invite Satan? He just showed up. Let me tell you this. He's just showed up in your life. If you look at your life, the demonic has just showed up. Some of you are like, what did I do to deserve this? No, you he just shows up. And he hopes that you'll have a conversation. Did Adam and Eve need to have a conversation with the dragon, yes or no? No, Eve could have been like, we have a strict no dragon policy, I'm out. I don't have these conversations. Or Adam could have stepped forward and said, we love God, God loves us, you have a problem with God, take it up with God. This doesn't involve us, this is between you and him. There are certain conversations you don't need to enter into. There are certain relationships that you don't need to enter into. Number four, Satan wants you to follow his rebellion in living independently of God. God is in authority, ruling and reigning. Satan says, I wanna be independent of his authority. Demons also do the same. Let me tell you this, if you reject authority, you will receive the demonic. Our culture doesn't know this. So children are encouraged to rebel against parents and citizens are encouraged to revolt against leadership. And it's just hell up rebellion. It's not heaven down life giving. He wants you to live independent. If, you, if your thought is, I'm just an independent person. I'm my own authority. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I make all my own decisions. Nobody could tell me what to do. You have already lost a great battle. Satan, number five, tries to overthrow God's principle of singular headship, plural leadership. In heaven, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinitarian God of the Bible, rule and reign forever, and the Father is the head. Satan wants to make himself the head of heaven. Here, Adam and Eve are plural leaders. Adam is to be the head. Satan comes, he's trying to make himself the head of humanity. Here's what you need to know. Satan is trying to put himself as head in authority over every sphere of politics, culture, entertainment in your life. He wants dominion over all because he desires to unseat and supplant the real God. Number six, Satan lies to us, trying to convince us that God is withholding good from us. God made them in his image and likeness. God put them in a garden. God provided for all of their needs. They got to hang out with angels and God. And Satan came along and said, you know, there's some good that he's withheld from you. There's something that, that is really good that God hasn't given you. And it's a demonic lie. Let me tell you this, friend. If there is something you really want and God hasn't given it, is because it would not be good for you. God knows that it would not be good for you and he loves you and he wants you to trust him. Number seven, I will first offend the women, then the men in my next two points, because I believe in equality. So we should offend women and men, all right? So firstly, ladies, Satan deceives women into thinking that they're biblical and helpful when they're not. Some women are biblical and helpful, but sometimes you think you're being biblical. Did Eve try and quote the word of God to Satan, if you know the story? She did, but she misquoted it. She thought she was biblical, but she wasn't. And she thought she was helpful, but she wasn't. 
Paul uses this language multiple times in the New Testament that Eve was deceived. Her mistake was not necessarily rooted in malice, but it's not enough just to want to do the right thing. You need to know what the wise thing is to do. For you ladies, this looks like in our day, you're married, but your husband is totally irresponsible. And so you treat him like one of the children and you are trying to pick up messes after him. This looks like the deadbeat boyfriend who is living with his girlfriend and she is paying the bills and she is basically nannying a guy with a driver's license. Does this still happen? Some of you are like, oh gosh, I know I shouldn't have brought my girlfriend. She's gonna kick me out in Jesus' name, yes. Now for you men, since we'll offend you men, let me tell you this, if you don't lead your family, Satan will. That's the story of Genesis three. Adam is a guy, he's passive, he's unengaged, he's non-relational, he's distant, he, he doesn't step forward. And as a result, Satan leads the family. Number nine, let's just, let's be honest with each other. We've all got our forbidden fruit, right? Let me ask you this, don't yell it out. Your spouse will be mortified. But what is your forbidden fruit? Sex, money, power, possessions, beauty, comfort, riches. What's your forbidden fruit? We've all got some, right? You're like, yeah, for me, that's a temptation. It's hard to walk by that every day. And then number 10, they sin, the war in heaven that was won by the angels is lost on the earth by the human beings, Adam and Eve, our first parents. And then God promises in chapter three, verse 15, Jesus is coming as a dragon slayer. That ultimately the problem came to this world and the solution does not come from this world that ultimately you and I need someone from the outside to enter in and to win the war that we have lost because we've already surrendered to the serpent. Now, what I find interesting in all of this is the absolute addiction and fascination with all of the comic book heroes. Any of you, DC Comics, Marvel folks, where are my nerd friends? Where are you at? My Comic-Con clan, where are you kids? And what happens is my kids love to go to the movies and on the big screen, watch the big story. And almost every time it's the same thing. Humanity is in peril. The world is in crisis. An end is coming. Thankfully, there is someone from outside our world who enters into our world. They're human and more. And I'm like, this is, the. God should get a royalty for every superhero movie. You stole that story. I'll give it to you, okay? Wolverine rapidly heals from injury. Invisible woman becomes invisible at will. Nitro reforms his own body after it explodes. Superman can fly. The Hulk has superhuman power. Aquaman can breathe underwater. Spider-Man climbs walls in a unitard. Uh, Wonder Woman, he does, I don't know why. Wonder Woman understands any language. Infinity is all knowing. The Silver Surfer manipulates gravity. Doomsday resurrects from death. Kitty Pride can pass through solid matter and the Flash has superhuman speed. Some of you are like, Pastor Mark, you got one of those wrong. Okay, then you're a nerd. That was a test. We found you. <laughs> I Googled that. I did the best I could. Now, that being said, 
What we want is a deliverer who comes in and is like us, but greater. Let me just tell you this, greater than any superhero, greater than any comic is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not just a mythical, but a historical, actual, factual deliverer. He is a dragon slayer. He enters in to human history. And here's what I'm telling you. The God man beats Superman. The God man beats Aquaman. The God man beats Batman. He does, right? He does. So you and I, we have hope for this planet, but it is not hope from this planet, but the one who made this planet. I'm excited. I, I hate to interrupt your nap. You know, you, you can just pretend like this is exciting. If nothing else, help me out. We're gonna now talk about Jesus. There we go. Because right now somewhere people are freaking out because a guy carries a dead pig over a chalk line. So we should get at least that excited, amen? All right, just something to pray about. All right, G some of the dudes are like, what did he say? I was checking the game. All right, all right. Okay, Jesus won your war. This is good news. God won his war in heaven. We lost our war on earth. We're born on the wrong side of the battle. Oh, we're under the rule of the God of this world. Oh, Jesus comes to win your war. First Corinthians two, seven through 10. We impart a secret in his hidden wisdom of God. These are things that were unknown until God made them known. These are things that were concealed and then revealed, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age, what are those? Demonic, fallen, rebellious spirits, divine beings. That's exactly what it is. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? He has an eternity planned for you that is not greater than you think, it is greater than you can think. It is so otherworldly that we don't have that category. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit, which of course is the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this, had the demonic principalities and powers realized why Jesus came and allowed himself to die, they would not have crucified him. So the backdrop for the whole life of Jesus is spiritual warfare. I'll summarize it from the book. Angels show up to tell Mary, you're gonna give birth to Jesus. Angel shows up, tells Joseph, you're gonna be his dad. Angels show up to worship Jesus at his birth and they invite the shepherds to join them. We celebrate this at Christmas. As Jesus is a little boy, there is a demonic political leader named Herod. He, puts, he hears Jesus is born. There's a king somewhere here among God's people. It's a little boy. I need to kill him before he becomes a grown man. So kind of like what happened in the days of Moses in the Exodus, a decree is sent forth from the political ruler who is demonic, kill all the boys. That way we'll make sure that we get rid of Jesus. Now, some of you may not fully understand this, I believe I can prove biblically that Herod is a descendant of a family line called the Edomites. 
From the Old Testament to the New, they continually wage war against God and God's people. It's two kingdoms in conflict. For some of you that maybe you're atheists or agnostics or you're skeptics or you have Bible objections, some people will come and they'll be like, oh gosh, God told them wipe out this whole group of people, how horrible. No, God knew that that family was like Satan and demons and they would never change and they would only harm. And unless we get rid of them, they will make it their life's mission to get rid of us. This is the father lovingly protecting his family. God knows what we don't know. God sees what we don't see. Herod is an example of a demonic family line. That's why he seeks to kill Jesus. That's why that family seeks to behead John the baptizer. What happens though is angelic messenger shows up, tells the parents, the boy's in danger, flee to Egypt, which they do. All of that is because of divine intervention. Jesus comes back and then Satan tempts him in a wilderness. Adam and Eve lived in a garden. They were cast out into the wilderness. Jesus shows up in the wilderness to pick up where Adam left off. Who shows up to Jesus in the wilderness? Satan, Matthew 4, Luke 4. Jesus is hungry, isolated, and tired. You will get hit by your enemy when you're hungry, isolated, and tired. The context is that Jesus was in the wilderness fasting in solitude for 40 days. Can you imagine how you'd feel? Some of you, you're like, I fasted 40 minutes. It nearly killed me. <laughs> 40 days, I cannot do. 40 days, Satan shows up. Hey, let's break bread together, do a meal. Sometimes demonic deception just starts with unhealthy relationships. And then Satan gives Jesus an offer. It's an offer of temptation. One of the ways that the enemy works is to tempt us as he tempted Jesus. God and Satan were basically offering Jesus the same thing. I'll prove it to you. God the Father said, son, you can be appointed king and rule, but it's gonna be a pain path through the cross to get there. Satan came along and said, well, I'm the God of this world. I will make you a king and it'll be a pleasure path, not a pain path. There's no cross, there's no suffering, there's no death. Sometimes Satan blesses people. If I could put the blesses in quotes. You're like, they're rich, they're powerful, they're successful. That's because the enemy owns them. If you were in Jesus' position, pain or pleasure to go sit on a throne and rule as a king, which one would you choose? This is why we need to pick up our cross and learn to deny ourselves at times. That's part of the battle. If you only do what feels good and works for you, you have already surrendered to the serpent. Now, this being said, the whole context of this is temptation. And Jesus in that moment endured all 
temptation of all humanity in all of history. It says that the devil showed him in an instant all the kingdoms and pleasures of the world. Imagine for a moment, everyone's forbidden fruit offered to you in an instant. Jesus was tempted. And ultimately, it was an issue of worship. Satan said, all you need to do is worship me. And Jesus said, no, worship the Lord God and serve him only. This is what I'm telling you. Worship is war. When you're tempted, that's war. If you choose holiness, that's worship. That's why coming to church feels like war. How many of you, you, you wake up and you're like, my kids declare war on me every Sunday morning. Well, there the war begins. It's a war to get to worship. It's a war to stay in worship. It's a war to sing God's praises with God's people in God's presence. And Jesus worshiped through his war and you and I must worship through our war. That's the only way. What happens then is Jesus overcomes all temptation. He is victorious. The story continues that then Satan is still trying to destroy him. He fills Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples. He recruits political and military leaders. They come to arrest Jesus under the cover of darkness, which is just part of the demonic deception. They take Jesus. They nail, they nail Jesus to a Roman cross. Demons were rejoicing because they thought they were winning. Finally, we lost the war in heaven. Adam and Eve joined us in the rebellion. That's it, now we're gonna slay the king. We'll take the kingdom. Here's what it says. None of the rulers of this age understood this, why Jesus died. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. What God did at the cross of Jesus Christ, he took the worst evil and used it for the greatest good. He will do this with all of human history and he will do this for you personally. That God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What happens at the cross of Jesus, Satan and demons didn't understand. He's not dying, he's dying for the people that he loves. He took your place, he took my place, he took our place, he paid our price at the cross of Jesus. He endured all that we should endure so that we can enjoy all that he gives, amen? amen. So for us, we love Jesus, we love the cross. Only God does love and forgiveness. Satan and demons overlook this possibility because they know nothing of love and forgiveness. God loves you. You are born on the wrong side of the war. You have been brainwashed. You have been fed propaganda. You have been tempted. And Jesus comes to set captives free, free to worship him. So my question to you would be, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you acknowledging your failures, faults, follies, and flaws to Jesus? So you're like, what are you trying to do? Get me saved? 100%. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. 
Hell is hot, forever is a long time. God loves you, find a plan B. That's my recommendation. His name is Jesus. Not only does Jesus die to forgive, as he dies, he disarms all that the demonic realm has against the children of God. You, because of our sin nature, we sin by nature and choice, we're on the wrong side of the war. Jesus dies to forgive us and then Satan and demons no longer have claim to us because we've been forgiven, delivered and set free by the victory of Jesus. Jesus then rises from death. He's alive and well today. And he is offering forgiveness of sin, eternal life, spiritual victory and eternal authority to those who trust in the son of God. Now, let me, let me ask a question. Just think of this for a moment. Divine beings sinned and rebelled. Human beings sinned and rebelled. Did Jesus die for demons so they can't be forgiven or saved? Did Jesus die for people? Yes, so you can be forgiven, delivered, and saved. Jesus gives to you a grace, a mercy, an opportunity that spirit beings never received. That's amazing, isn't it? God, thank you. I, I joined Satan's side and, and you came in and kicked him in the teeth and made him a toothless dragon and adopted me into your family so you could bless me. There's only two ways to think about that. I must be amazing or he must be amazing. I would go with, he is amazing. Now, some of you will wonder, okay, if Jesus crushed Satan and demons, why is there still fighting and war? He will come a second time to put down the insurrection forever. But let me give you a story from World War II. Grace and I were in Germany not long ago. World War II was the bloodiest battle, humanly speaking, in the history of the world. Roughly 50 million people died because God creates Satan counterfeits right? That that Nazi regime was trying to be the counterfeit of the kingdom of God. And Adolf Hitler was trying to set himself up as Jesus and rule over the nations. Everything's spiritual. Ultimately, knowing that his end was near, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. And then Karl Donitz, who was his successor, signed a peace treaty and they surrendered but some soldiers kept up the fight. Why? Number one, some of the soldiers didn't believe the report that they'd lost. They chose a lie over the truth and lived in light of the lie instead of the truth. Secondly, some soldiers knowing they were defeated, they were so committed to their cause that they wanted to harm and hurt as many people as possible. What's true in physical war is also true in spiritual war that Satan and demons are defeated, but till Jesus comes back, there are still those who either disbelieve the verdict of Jesus' victory, or they just want to harm humanity. Three reasons you can win your war, okay? War in heaven, war on earth, war on the cross, war in your life. You are at war, you are at battle. There are principalities, powers, and spirits that are trying to bring harm and devastation to you and your family. Number one, 
Three reasons you can win your war. There's four in the book. I'm only covering three because it'll go five hours, but it'd be awesome. All right, number one, you have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Awesome verse. He, that's Jesus, has what? Delivered us. This isn't religion, morality, spirituality. I delivered myself. So I was in a concentration camp. A soldier showed up, set me free. I, I, I didn't do this. His name is Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, Satan, the demonic, the wrong side of the war, and transferred us to the kingdom. We do have a king of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me hit this. I'm gonna make this real practical, okay? Four things. This raises the question or these succession of questions. What about generational sins? People ask that at church. Is it true that not only does God have certain family lines that he blesses, but Satan has certain families that he curses? See, because a cursing is the counterfeit of blessing. God creates Satan counterfeits. All the way back in Genesis, there are genealogies of family lines. Some are blessed, some are cursed. Some of you need to know that you come from a cursed family line and legacy. What does this look like? I've been doing this job long enough. I'll give you some examples. Every generation molests their kids. That's demonic. Every generation is just always at war and fighting and unrest and chaos and self-righteousness and religious pride. Every generation is just addicted drugs, alcohol, self-destructive behavior. Every generation, there is profound mental illness that defies any biological or physical causation. Some of you looking back at your families, if I just said cursed, you'd be like, that explains my whole family. The question is, if you are a Christian, are you still under the generational curses of your family? No. Now, some will say you are, and you gotta find the generational curse, and you gotta break the generational curse. No, no, no. He already did just walk in his victory with his authority. What this means is, I don't care what has been done to the children in your family. You don't need to beat them. You can bless them. I don't care if there's adultery in your family. There is fidelity in your future. I don't care if in the past you were all worshiping demon gods or in some cultic religion, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? So generational curses and sins are broken because you have gone from darkness to light. This means, here's how Peter says it in one of his epistles. You have been delivered from the hollow and empty way of life handed you by your forefathers. Your father is not now the primary defining aspect of your being. You got a new father. Your family is no longer your primary identity. Your new family of the churches. You get a new father, you get a new family. You go from darkness to light. Your legacies are gonna change. I have hope for your children. I have hope for your children's children, amen? Because not only is Satan trying to curse for generations, God loves to bless for generations. Number two, 
invisible friends, or imaginary friends? This question comes oftentimes from parents of little kids. Now, sometimes kids just have an active imagination, right? My kids were little. My boys all thought that they were, they had those, you know, Nerf swords. People are like, why do you let them play with weapons? Because they're following in the example of Jesus, our dragon slayer. So my kids get to use weapons, okay? My daughters would dress up like princesses. Sometimes kids have an imagination that that's totally great and good. And we probably would benefit as adults from more of that. But sometimes you need to be careful. Let's say your child says, hey, we're having a tea party. Set a place right there for my invisible friend. Okay, tell me about this invisible friend. Is this a real being that is showing up to a naive child and leading them astray? Sometimes spirits will attach to young children. Children will assume that it's a guardian angel when in fact it is a counterfeit. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, the scriptures say. So it's even looking at your kids and saying, okay, do they understand? And are we aware of what is in their life, not just physical, but also spiritual beings? Number three, white magic. I get this question. In our, Grace and I have been doing this a while. This comes from one particular gal. She came up to me, she said, well, I grew up in a coven and my mom was a witch. She said, but now I've met Jesus, but it's okay because I'm a white witch, not a black witch. I was like, oh, whew, God, so relieved to hear that. No, uh, I was like, white witch? I was like, were you in the Wizard of Oz? Right, because in the Wizard of Oz, it's the good witch and the bad witch. Let me tell you this, all witches are bad. Some just are more deceptive. I said, tell me about a white witch. Well, we only cast good spells, not bad spells. Here's what I'm opposed to, all spells. <laughs> so some of you think, well, you know, I have supernatural ability or I went up to Sedona and saw some stuff or I went up to Sedona and <laughs> saw some stuff. And then it, it may be a supernatural experience and it may masquerade as being good and it's not. That's why I don't want you to be spiritual. I want you to be spirit-filled. I don't want you to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. Number four, I wish you could see your face. You're like, I hate Halloween and I hate it more than ever right now. Night terrors. Some of you going to bed is going to war. Some of you going to sleep is going to war. It's like when the darkness of night comes, so the darkness of the spirit realm comes with it. They say, the experts do, that night terrors are more common amongst those who are trauma and abuse survivors, soldiers, first responders, and those with PTSD. The Bible tells us to stay alert and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's hard to do when you're asleep. It's hard to be alert when you're asleep and it's hard to resist the devil when you're asleep. Satan and demons like angels and other divine beings, they do not share in the limits of your humanity. Satan and demons don't have allergy problems in Arizona. Okay, you do. 
Satan and demons don't get the flu, you do. Satan and demons don't get dehydrated, you do. Satan and demons don't need to go to bed, you do. And so they wait until you are tired and then the attack begins. Now, sometimes we work ourselves up, we freak ourselves out. Some of you are just scaredy cats, but sometimes it really is demonic. I'll give you an example of a night terror. Job chapter four, 13 through 16. He's a godly and good man. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. How many of you have had those nightmares, those night terrors? And you're kind of between the, the realm of being awake and asleep and you're not sure what's real or not real and your, your adrenaline's firing and your anxiety is escalating. He goes on to say, a spirit glided past my face. How many of you have had that? You're like, I'm not all by myself. Somebody else is here. The hair on my flesh stood up for some of you that's happening right now. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. It's spiritual, not physical. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. He says, then I heard a voice. I'm talking about a night terror. A couple of things for those of you who struggle with night terrors. Number one, don't just set the physical, but also the spiritual temperature of your home. That is your home. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. That is your dominion. Okay, that is your, that's why when we move into a new place, we pray through the rooms, we pray through the house. We don't know who or what has lived there before us. In addition, what I like to say at our house is we don't do crazy. Crazy is out there, crazy doesn't come in here. So if somebody comes over and like, I like to slam doors. Well, there's the door, there you go. We don't slam doors here, we don't punch walls, we don't criticize each other. We don't cuss each other out. We don't scream and yell all day. We want an atmosphere in our home that is the fruit of the spirit, not the presence of the serpent. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Some of you grew up in demonic environment. It's just chaos, screaming, door slamming, criticizing. You're living sort of at the red level of the terror alert. And then you try to go to bed. You've been in a demonic environment all day. It's hard to calm down at night. Number two, pray offensively. Too often times we only pray when we get hit. We don't pray so that he gets hit. Psalms has a lot of offensive prayers. Being on the front foot, war has defense and offense. We need to pray. pray praying is offensive. It is attacking that which is demonic and against you. When Grace and I were in literally a war and our family was under siege, we went to the Psalms and there were certain Psalms like, I think it was Psalm 91. I just wrote out by hand and put it on the wall. Grace is like, what's that? We're gonna read that every day. And by faith, we're gonna believe it and we're gonna claim it over our family. We gotta get a shield over us because we're under assault. Pray offensively. And then if you have kids, do a bedtime routine with them. I'm talking about little kids. My two sons are six foot one. So if I snuggle with them, read them the Jesus Storybook Bible, kiss them on the forehead, I'm probably gonna end up in some sort of jujitsu hold. So I can't do that <laughs> with my grown sons. But when your kids are little, this is what we would do. We would set an environment at bedtime. We would sing, read scripture, 
pray, bless them, listen to them, kiss them, snuggle with them, comfort them. If God is in you, then you bring the presence of God with you. Do that for your children at bedtime. Number two, demonic attack is not uncommon. There's the world, which is a system opposed to God externally. There is the flesh, which is your deep-seated tendency toward rebellion and folly that is internal. And then there is the demonic that is working to create a world that tempts your flesh. So some regard, it is fair to say that demonic attack, spiritual warfare is constant and common. Now, let me read this quickly. I'm a, I'm a Bible guy, okay? As I read the Bible, I find God names demons. He talks to them as the Baals, which is also called the host of heaven, Asherah or Ashtoreth, which included lots of illicit sex in their cultic religion, Chemosh and Molech, which practice child sacrifice and today is likely the spirit behind Planned Parenthood. Artemis, Legion, Hermes, Zeus, Diker Justice, Castor and Pollux, the twin gods, Clion, the star god, the queen of heaven, Lilith, the night creature, or Screech Owl. We are told in the book of Daniel, we'll get there in January, the prince of Persia and Greece were at spiritual war with the Lord's angels. Paul talks about unknown demonic gods. The Bible uses not only the language of beast to refer to physical beings, but also to spiritual beings that are just as dangerous and deadly to your soul as a wild animal is to your body. Satan is called a serpent, a dragon, a lion. Other demons are called python spirits, goat demons, wild animals, ostriches, bulls, hyenas, birds, scorpions. The Bible also refers to evil people as vipers, serpents, goats, cows, dogs, wolves, leeches, donkeys, and evil beasts. It's in there. It's in there a lot. And it's in there clearly. But let me say this. I'm gonna say something controversial here because I always have at least one controversial point. So this is it. In our day, there are certain slogans that have tremendous power to shape culture. They take on a life of their own. Choice. Tolerance. Spectrum. Pride. The reason that those slogans might be powerful is because of the spirits behind them. And those may be the names of demons. I'll close with this. Number three, you come with your king's authority. Okay, you come, so you're like, okay, I'm scared. No, don't be scared, be aware, okay? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than all the unholy spirits combined. That being said, chapter one of Ephesians, which precedes this, which I will read in a moment, which is awesome. Ephesians one says that Jesus defeated the demonic. He went to heaven, he sat on his throne, and today the devil is his what? Footstool. I love that. 
Jesus is like, I need a place to put my feet. Somebody go get the dragon. <laughs> you are a tough guy if you have a dragon as a coffee table, amen? And then here's what it says. Not only is Jesus ruling and reigning seated in heaven, positionally so are you. This is for you. This is for your war to walk in the victory and authority of his war. God being rich in mercy, inexhaustible account of mercy. I don't care what you've done. Jesus loves you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will deliver you. Jesus will save you. Jesus will never lie to you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never abuse you. God being rich in mercy because of the great love Satan and demons know nothing of love. God is love. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, you are loved by God. And we see that at the cross of Jesus. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, born on the wrong side of the war, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And wow, raised up with him and seated with him where? in the heavenly places, in the unseen realm, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who won the war in heaven, the same Jesus who won the war at the cross is available to help you win all your wars against temptation, against lies, against condemnation, against accusation, against generational curses, against addiction and self-harm. I'm gonna bring the band up. We're gonna throw a party. Right now in the presence of Jesus, angels and departed saints are singing. I say we join them. And here's what I want you to think about. When Satan shows up and he reminds you of your past, you need to remind yourself of your future. Let me just tell you, let me tell you what the Bible gives as a sneak peek of what our minds can't even conceive. Friends, Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is a dragon slayer. Jesus is a king ruling over a kingdom. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again to sentence demons and evildoers to the eternal conscious torments of hell. Revelation 19 shows him coming as a warrior. He comes to conquer Satan's sin, death, hell. He comes to put down all wars forever. It says he's riding a horse. He comes with a sword and he's wearing what color? White. Here's what I know. If a guy shows up for a fight wearing all white, two things. He doesn't think it's gonna take longer that he's gonna get dirty, amen? Jesus comes back wearing white. Not only that, Jesus is gonna call your name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And there came Lazarus. Jesus Christ is going to call you by name. Your body will resurrect, your soul will enter it. You will be perfect in the image and likeness of God forever. You will be in the presence of God forever. The Bible says that now we were made a little lower than the angels. It says, but in that day you will judge angels. So all the demons that have attacked your family, all the forces of darkness that have opposed you, they will come before the Lord Jesus for judgment and he will allow you to exercise his authority and judge them. Furthermore, 
This is just absolutely astonishing. Not only does Jesus sit on a throne, he has a throne waiting for you to rule and to reign with him. So I say, let's worship him. I say, let's thank him. I say, let's trust him until we see him. Jesus, thank you for an opportunity to worship. Thank you that our prayers and our songs join departed saints and angelic and other divine beings in your presence, that we now enter into the unseen realm. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Please open the eyes of those who are blinded. Please open the minds of those who are blinded. God, let us not be fearful, but let us be aware. And Jesus, I pray for deliverance. I pray for healing. I pray for hope. I pray for revelation insight for these dear people to walk in your victory through all eternity in Jesus' name. Love you. Thank you.